This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. When I was growing up, I admired Conan the Barbarian because that was in the theaters and I wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I, uh, I got my little book on bodybuilding and began eating apples and white toast and an egg, a couple of raw eggs every morning. And that was my, my jam for some time. Because I didn't understand that, you know, I, I got the nuggets of it, but not the, the spirit of how to do nutrition. I was focusing on the form, not the function. People admired that I could eat raw eggs out of the shell, and they thought that was kind of cool. But it didn't really – I mean, I still do. <laughs> when, when that's the nutrition form available, it doesn't really matter to me how I get the nutrients. But that's not the smartest way to go about life. It wasn't a whole – there was no vegetable involved. There, it doesn't focus on – like we talk about an Impact Actual, our hashtag SEAT, S-E-A-T, the seat of your physical power. Everything you do is in sleep eat and train. The whole person, you got to address the reality of the person, not just the contours, not just the biceps getting, you know, one quarter millimeter taller. And so I began, that was a long, long time ago from my high school, long before many of you were born. I, I, I've evolved since then and learned about things like the whole person. We talk about whole person development, things like don't eat just an apple and a piece of toast and uh, two raw eggs and, and do get your rest and do get your effective hydration. We've had Dr. John on a couple of times. Dr. Don Owens talks about such details of, of refinement of physical health that he's going into the quality of your water and saying, this water sucks compared to this water, and here's why. Uh, go back and check out other episodes to get those ideas. But we're evolving yet again to f- talk farther into this whole person health uh, concept, things that are important to me. So today we're taking that evolutionary understanding about whole person health uh, a step farther uh, yet again, and talking about an area that I know almost nothing about, but I want to know everything about, which is the subject of epigenetics. And I have our expert on the subject today. Welcome aboard. We have, uh, last time we had a McDermott on, it was Brian McDermott. Noonan came on and talked about critical thinking. Today we're talking to C. McDermott. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, I'm going to give the quick bio from your from your bio, and so okay. the, the so the audience understands a little bit about what we're talking about. And then again, there will be so much to discuss. You have to explain a lot of this stuff to me and to many. Uh, so C is a sought after leading expert in holistic wellness and cognitive function. Which, as a caveat, I'll say that's the first thing that jumped out at me when I was talking about getting her on the show. Uh, leading expert in holistic wellness and cognitive function. That, that's your your quality of life is based on how you are, see the world. I literally just finished a month of COVID. The first two weeks of that were COVID. I was in and out of consciousness, exhausted for twenty hours a day. And the two weeks following it, when I hadn't been hadn't been diagnosed with my effects on my lungs, the edema, the swelling, the, the current swelling as well as scarring that Doc evaluated a couple of weeks ago, and he said, dude. You're not getting oxygen in your big old dumb brain. That's why you keep shutting down. That's why you can't stay awake. That's why all of this. And I was, and I was uh, to give you to give everybody a, a context on that. I was actually scared because as a career Navy SEAL, 
knowing who's behind me, knowing who's walking up to the side, knowing where I am on the street is is second nature. It's so it's so viscerally important to me that I'm unconscious of it all the time until it goes away. And I was experiencing basically a mild form of dementia, a little shutdown, little brain blips and brain fog. And so I I, I learned coming out of that that uh, I, I want to be I want to have my head on head on straight. So that's why I'm, I jumped out on the co- the cognitive function idea of this bio. Uh, so C is a sought after leading expert in holistic wellness and cognitive function who guides people to utilize the power of their DNA, getting into D- epigenetics, to gain physical and mental strength, harnessing their desires and needs to fulfill their passions in life at the forefront of precision genomic wellness, epigenetics, nutrigenomics, and nutrigenics. C continually trains, learns, and grows while assisting those seeking limitless human potential. As she tells clients, feeling good is a low standard. We work together to analyze DNA, biometric data, current habits, and lifestyle for precision performance. Sounds like whole person development. Sounds like addressing the whole human being. We act on a whole systems approach, also sounds like that, (laughs) to the human experience through the six pillars of wellness, nutrition, stress, movement, mindset, environment, and rest. And with that said, see, you got a lot of splaining to do because I said <laughs> the words, but I don't know what the hell I said. So can we okay. start with epigenetics and say, what, what is that? Let's start with, yeah, epigenetics. So essentially, you got 3.2 million base pairs of DNA from a father, 3.2 from a mother. You have 6.4 million base pairs within those base pairs of your DNA are what we call single nucleotide polymorphisms. But don't get scared because we just call it SNPs, SMPs. So when you have certain SNPs, you're going to be predisposed to certain outcomes. And they have to do with many different aspects of life. And some are just what time you should go to sleep and what your circadian rhythm looks like. And some are what types of fat you can eat for best cognitive health. So it really can kind of run the gamut. It also has to do with athletics. I'm sure you'd be interested to learn. There's certain people that will have a genetic predisposition for building greater strength. Some people are better sprinters or endurance. So there's a lot of different factors, but we also determine a lot of things about nutrition in particular to really find the exact fine-tunement of how you not only actually consume your food in what windows at what time of day, but also how your body converts these nutrients into nutrition for the body. And if you have a lower conversion of a certain vitamin, we can supplement, or we can just make sure that we get a greater amount of that food. So there's a lot of fine tuning that takes place and it's really just in an optimization level. That is so interesting and so important and something that you know, I often use the building blocks example of learning. You know, we have. I'm I'm still not very good at math, and I can I can own that. But I understand the concepts of statistics. I couldn't have done that until I understood the concepts of algebra. You can't do you can't jump over an essential stage, and I couldn't do algebra until I do the read and write and arithmetic stuff. You know, putting pluses and minuses together. This, like I said, I'm absolutely fascinated by this area because I'm ready to learn now that I've learned about macros and I've applied these concepts in my life for a few years and I've begun exploring healthy fats and like you're talking about, not just the food pyramid we were taught in, you know, in fourth grade. Hey, eat a lot of bread and you're going to be good to go. Uh, well, yeah. not 
necessarily. But in, like you're saying, epigenetics, maybe some people are better off as far as those predispositions go to just eat a lot of bread. Yeah. Well, bread might not be the key. Not for anybody. (laughs) Maybe not bread, but carbohydrates, certainly. There are actually, there's a large portion of the population, and I actually speak about this all the time, that if we followed the food pyramid, those people would experience very serious gut dysbiosis eating six or eight to 10 uh, servings of grains a day because they actually can't convert the grains properly. Um, and it's not necessarily a problem. This is just how uh, epigenetics and evolution has worked in these specific bodies. It's just so bio-individual that, you know, there's about probably somewhere between 30 and 35% of the population that really would experience inflammation eating that many grains on a daily basis, which likely, given our health outcomes in our country currently, is certainly been reflected. Mm-hmm. And and that, and and that's no harm, no foul on the individuals because we're literally walking through the steps we've been instructed to do. They say do this, mm-hmm. uh, break it down, keep it simple. One size fits all. And this, what you're describing here, is that is absolutely not one size fits all to really live optimally. Yes, so bio individual, and even just starting at a foundational level before we even get to the optimization level, in order for people to really be able to maintain weight as they age or maintain hormone levels that will allow them to maintain that weight. You even have to look in your environment where certain people are more affected by BPAs from plastics, where other people are more affected by smog. So while not everyone has the ability to say move out of an urban environment based on their genetics, there are people that are better equipped to live in certain environments. And you know, when we even just start from that foundational level, once we get that under control, then we can see where we can focus because none of us can live in a bubble, right? So especially when it comes to environmental detoxification, I have small children, so I'm constantly like, maybe I could put them in a bubble, Yeah. <laughs> but we know that's not, that's not feasible. So where we actually end up focusing, like let's remove the plastics because you are going to be more susceptible to that. However, if you really love the cosmetics that you're using and it's working for you, that might be okay and the body can process that. It's just when we continue to pile on the things that your individual genetics can't handle, that's when we see that dysbiosis. That's when we see possibly the gut health disruption, possibly adding a little bit of brain fog because we're not producing enough of the neurotransmitters in the gut to help the brain. So it's all very interconnected, which is why we, we really do have that whole complex body systems involved. You remind me of Dr. John in one way, and that's everything I learn leads to three things I want to ask about. Yeah, <laughs> which is not a good math formula. I understand for a one-hour show, so we have to. I have to bound my expectations. I want to ask about everything. It's it's everything you say brings up a very interesting question. Like, for example, this environment. Obviously, environment matters. Obviously, we have Jackson, Mississippi, just had toxic water going mm-hmm. on for uh, this, as as of this taping. Uh, you know, we talk about. I forget the the exact city. I think it was Milwaukee or another place up north, but. Michael Moore did a, a show on the mm-hmm. toxic toxic water up there, and 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 this is huge in my personal philosophy because I think that the human dignity underlying the functionality of our society is should be fundamentally uh, addressed, uh, acknowledged, and and when we do that, it, like you're talking about here, these predispositions, um, 
another another side thread I want to talk about is uh, mental health and predispositions because mm-hmm. there are threshold events. Schizophrenia, for example, may never manifest. My alcoholism may never have manifested if I had not drunk alcohol. If I'd never picked mm-hmm. up a, a beer, I would never have been perceived as an alcoholic. Maybe in the future, Star Trek could use the tricorder and use a guy that's never drunk and say, oh, yep, you're an alcoholic. Then boop, 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 you know, wave it over my body and they know the, they know the DNA says that you're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. which is something that we have to ask or talk, have to ask you about. But back to the idea about the, the foundational stuff, both emotional and physiological, dignity for human beings, goes into, hey, let's make sure that our citizens in America don't drink shit water. They don't Mm-hmm. Die from the the nourishment of of hydration. You know, it's it's very complex. But the environment. I'm surprised that some people are better able to process what, as you're describing yucky mm-hmm. stuff. And this really just explains why some people, for instance, in Mississippi, became so much more ill than others because. The better foundational underlying health you have, the better able your body. I mean, the human body is really quite resilient, quite incredible, but some bodies are able to do certain things better where this does manifest as illness in other in some people and less so in others and that's simply just their genetics can i jump to the other track real quick because the content of what you're what you have to share is so important to me and so important to the listener however i don't want to skip over where you got here from it's important to me you know the bio we talked about where you are what you do how did you get here? How did you learn to, this This matters to you and really devote your life to it? And I mean, at one point you were two years old and none of this mattered. So how, how did we get from there to here? Yeah, so I, I'm not a person that, and a lot of times you meet people that are into nutrition and things that have this really revolutionary story about um, healing or having uh, lost a lot of weight or something. And I, I have actually just kind of always been healthy and on this optimization journey myself since I was young. Um, I got really into meditating when I was in my early 20s. I did work for the federal government for quite some time. And <laughs> so I have kind of run the gamut of that, seen the world in various physical and mental stressful positions. So I learned a lot of resilience that way and really noticed a lot of my peers in that position because of the stressful environment. I noticed a lot of my peers starting to break down at a very early age. So I used to run a lot of marathons. I was always a personal trainer, just as like a side gig. And I was always interested in nutrition. So over time, I realized that really just personal training people. It just wasn't working. I used to teach group fitness classes. I loved it. It was really fun, but it just wasn't presenting change in people that I wanted to see. And as I learned more about genetics, just kind of exploring it myself, I have a family history that I'm just desperately trying to outrun. It's just heart disease, type two diabetes. And it turns out most of these things are really not genetic. But what is genetic is all those habits we inherit. And I have two parents that were actually quite healthy and kind of broke the pattern of their families, but my father still has Parkinson's. And how was I going to outrun Parkinson's? I wasn't sure. And it's at the time, it wasn't thought to be very genetic. Now we know there are SNPs that uh, lead to Parkinson's, but I'm not exposing myself to pesticides. I'm never going to become a boxer. I mean, I probably wouldn't have anyway, but just in case, uh, blows to the head does make this manifest. So really when I had children who are now five and seven, I was like, how am I going to prevent them from having 
these diseases of lifestyle that we can totally avoid. Um, so then I really just took a deeper dive and in the past several years, just educated myself on it and then paired up with a company that I'm able to work with their lab and we use algorithms to make these um, determinations. And then through research, it's, so it's research and clinical data to be able to determine exactly where the changes need to be to take those genes up or down, depending on what gene you're talking about. So I'm tempted to throw myself into your guinea pig pool and just be tested to extremes and say, yeah, well, I mean, that's what they do with seals anyway, right? You know, we, they, right. literally, they'll shove a thermometer where the sun don't shine, put you underwater on a track and make you ride a bike uh, for, for five hours, do what hypothermia does to the human body. Well, it's a different human body anyway. You had a seal <laughs> just grabbing a person. Right. And that's why the seal studies are so interesting because the average person will look at it and say, oh, see, this happened. I'm like, that's only for- exactly. Elitely healthy people, like it's yeah. an elite health issue. Apples it's, to it's apples, different. yeah. <laughs> and and the, and no harm, no foul on somebody that's not a professional mm-hmm. athlete level. It's just a matter. Uh, now, there's another topic right there because you know we could we could dive for an hour on whether seals are predisposed to be seals as far as mm-hmm. biology mm-hmm. And, and genes. But no harm, no foul. That a person's not that fit. I'm not that fit. I, I was a seal, and I'm not a I'm not an active seal now. And my fitness is different by far than it was when I was actively operating. So we can't apply the, again, one size fits all. You can't say, here's your program. We have a thing, a uh, quick aside here. At some retreats, I've run this thing. I call 99 problems, Rob's little mm-hmm. Navy SEAL program. What it is, and people have loved it of all fitness conditions and all ages. It's a, a randomized series of quickie sets of seal exercises, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, dips, jumping jacks. Uh, we do, I have about 15 of them. And I literally randomize every, act, every workout that takes 50 minutes, 5-0. And I've got my own little pattern and I, and I randomize a spreadsheet and then I just follow the spreadsheet and say, you know, the next exercise will be the push-up. And they all get in the position and then I say, start. And then just for 20 seconds, they do push-ups. Mm-hmm. And then I say, the next exercise will be the pull-up and they shift over in 10 seconds and do 20 seconds, whatever that means for them, for pull-ups. They can do 20 pull-ups or one Mm pull-up. But the the idea of shifting from one evolution to another, 50, I'm sorry, 99 times in 50 minutes because it's 30 seconds apiece, it's completely (laughs) randomized. You completely control your workout. I have people who are the opposite, you know, of, of fit who have been very sedentary their whole lives working out next to triathletes and they both get a massive workout because they're doing what's right for them with those reps, the reps yeah. in those sets. So that's a so lot of fun and, and customizing it, you know, to make it, to make it something that is equal opportunity, if you will, because everybody can benefit from doing one push up, and then converting to a pull up and then doing a pull up and then converting to a sit up and doing a sit up because the motion itself, the transition is also exercise and movement, which you talked about in your work. Movement is a big part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings me back to the six pillars of wellness. Uh, nutrition, stress, movement, mindset, environment, and rest. We've talked about environment. We've, we've touched on, you talked earlier about sleep patterns being also epigenetically relevant. Movement, <laughs> transitioning from one exercise to the other. I definitely want to let you just address the six pillars in general, and then there's some things I want to zoom in on. Yeah, so when it comes to something like sleep, it's so foundational. It's actually one of the things within epigenetics that we work on that really you have to live your lifestyle around your circadian rhythm. It just works better. If you try to kind of change your lifestyle or your um, 
genetics to the lifestyle, it doesn't really work. So a lot of times people say, oh, I'm a night owl. I, I stay up very late always. And then if they do make that switch to the earlier times, which their genetics will reflect, they actually realize, oh, maybe I was a little bit more tired than I thought, or I was experiencing brain fog because then they kind of like lift that veil of tired and realize that they're getting pure quality sleep, better REM, better deep sleep. So that definitely makes a foundational difference because when you're tired and you're underslept, you just can't function in all other areas mm -hmm. of life. So then when you come to nutrition, it's just so bio-individual when it comes to really all um, micronutrients and the macronutrients that you spoke of earlier and the breakdown of different fats. So for instance, I like to use the example that in you know the 90s, everything was low fat, right? But then in turn, we got a lot of high sugar, which we didn't really realize at the time. Of course, we were just told like, oh, fat will make you fat. Don't eat fat. But there's a huge portion of the population, myself included, that it, with a low-fat diet, I experienced brain fog and almost like people could experience even disorientation from just having low fat because I require a high-fat diet. And it's just for cognitive health. So you might feel okay like cutting the calories, cutting the fat out, but you're not going to be optimizing. You're not going to be operating at a level where you can think clearly, you're just going to, again, like you could have even experienced brain fog or lethargy. So, um, and then there's a whole other portion of the population that should never do high fat and that not necessarily a low fat diet, but just standard middle of the road with fat where something like a ketogenic diet could be pretty hard on brain health over a long term. So um, even just knowing if you should be doing something like a ketogenic diet is really, you know, it's, it's here to stay. Like people are really, uh, really into it. And whether that's a, a deeper dive into ketogenic or just kind of doing just higher fat in general, you really having it in line with your genetics is going to make a huge difference. I don't do product placement here, but I do like to talk about things you know I experience. I'm, I like to consider myself the first guinea pig, right? I'll, I'll, I'll hack things or try things and see what works and what doesn't. I tried bulletproof coffee at one point, and mm. it was the rage and the fat and the butter and I mean the, the the oil and the butter. Get them in there, mix it up, froth. It was delicious. <laughs> I ate, I drank at least one every morning. Sometimes I, to my chagrin, would have to admit I I had a couple because it was just good to eat to, to drink. But I tried it. Very soon after I had labs for a physical, and I'm, I'm 56 now, and I know that's got to have a factor too, beyond the DNA, beyond the genes. Things happen in a human body when they're 6 and 26 and 36 and 56 and 96. Different things are happening, different metabolic processes, and there's a chemical shift, hormonal shift, obviously, so, so it's a different person. Like there's an old mm -hmm. proverb, no, no man steps foot in the same river twice because mm -hmm. things are time and, 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 and circumstance change. But... I happened to go back to my doc for a follow-up about six months later, and she said, uh, did labs, and then she compared the two, and she got scared. She looked at me, she's like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm really healthy, working out here in Hawaii, drinking my, my, my bulletproof. She's like, I got to put you on heart medicine. Your cholesterol's out the, uh, through the roof. Mm. And I said, no, I'm not. She's like, you're... I'm really concerned. I need like she's looking for specialists and other lab visits and hospital visits to to figure out why I'm dying. Basically, I said, "Let me just go ahead and stop doing this stupid thing," which may be a stupid thing for me. And I stopped doing it. I stopped drinking bulletproof coffee. And for the listener, those that don't know, basically, bulletproof coffee is a I think it's two tablespoons of butter, 
specific organic grass-fed butter and uh, a tablespoon of coconut oil. Uh, mm-hmm. Blend it up and drink it in your coffee, and it's creamy. It's it's like a latte. I like it a lot. I like the I like fatty flavors, but in my case, it went from perfectly healthy uh, at that time, fifty three year old man, blood to oh my god, you're gonna die, dude. And so another three months later, my numbers were right back down, and she was shocked and amazed, and I was I was. Uh, interested to see it. It was like, a, a, you go ahead and experiment on me, you know? It's funny to see what yeah. happens. Yeah. And I've actually, it's funny, I've heard that story from several people and then like literally the same product or something very similar. And when we do the genetics, they often are not the people that can just have a high fat diet and it w- will affect your, your cholesterol and your heart and everything. So while uh, some of these, some people would thrive on that and, you know, it tastes good and they love it and their triglycerides would be far right, less. Impact. Right, That's why it's totally valid. I want to caveat that. It's totally valid as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Not at all saying nobody should do that. Just saying that because I'm different, because everybody's different, it affected me in my way and that wasn't right for me. Right, yeah. And you're so smart to look at the labs and say, okay, what's changed? And just remove it and then back to where you were. But if you had continued that for five or six years without knowing and not checking labs, you might not have known and you could have had longer uh, longer downstream effects. Right, actual heart disease. So having that information is is very empowering. I know people sometimes will say to me, can you tell me how I'm going to die or when I'm going to die? <laughs> like, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unless you have like a, I don't know if you want to get like a tarot card reader, maybe she knows. I don't know. Right. But I can tell you how you're going to live, right? So how are you going to live your life based on what your genetics are? Just so you feel your best, right? Because we don't want to wake up in the morning. Like I always say, feeling good, it's a low standard. You should feel great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at the human body. It's amazing. Its resilience is amazing. What if we didn't have to save our resilience for like you know, detoxifying uh, two pounds of butter in the morning because your genetics can't do it. What if we got to use that resilience for building muscle, for just becoming stronger and becoming smarter? Like, it's just really that optimization piece is just like my favorite thing to even just experience myself, but also to have other people experience. I love optimization too, in general, as a as a lifestyle pattern. Looking at whether it's systemic with my my workmates, you know, dealing with a, a a company problem or a government problem or my own physiology or cat behavior. I'm saying cat behavior because although the listener can't see it, my co-host is right here. Uh, Rosie, the the <laughs> black cat, is is trying to get my attention, and so. I ha- you know everything is a dynamic. Everything is connected, as you talked about earlier. You know, and and there's just, it's 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 to me it's absurd to imagine like we many of us do. I do. I slip into it. Black and white thinking that this is a thing that I'm going to address and I'm going to fix it and it'll be fi- done. Well, there's a a lot of things affect a lot of things. Everything is connected. So mm-hmm. how how I manage my co-host, Rosie the Cat, and, and how I give her enough attention but not too much attention that takes away from this is basically looking at things from a systems-based zero-sum concept because you have enough energy in your body to do a whole bunch of things. If I'm trying to digest those two two tablespoons of butter every morning that didn't have to be in my system, then I've detracted from the energy and, and, and resources available to do, like you said, uh, tissue improvement or, or, or clarity of mind or even spending time being able to study my Russian. I, I study Russian on a regular basis because it's a language I know and I want to tweak it. We have a thing we call jam, just a minute in impact. And so just a minute is this micro habits like James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. The micro habits of doing a minute of reviewing my guitar chords in the morning, a minute of 
checking out a new vocabulary word, uh, is, is stacking these hundreds and hundreds of uh, iterations into the mind and the behavior, uh, thoughts and, and behaviors. So mm-hmm. that's energy available to those things if I choose to apply it there, or I can choose to apply it to processing my, my extra large quarter pounder meal with, uh, with extra ketchup. Right. Yeah. And that exhausts the body. It exhausts the, the, not just the body, because the body is meat. It exhausts the human, mentally right. and physically, emotionally as well. I mean, interestingly, you burn more calories the more mentally active you are. So what does that tell you about brain power, right? I've heard that, and this, this might be a wrong memory, but 25% of the calories burned at night are by the brain because it's thinking and dreaming and processing, and it just keeps on chugging away. It's a and huge I'm not of certain of the exact. I'm not certain of the exact percentage on that, but I know um, we have what's called the glymphatic system, which is much like the lymphatic system moves lymph from our body. It cleans out the brain at night, and it's really only newly discovered in the past decade or so. And that's why sleep is so important. And deep sleep is when this takes place. REM sleep takes place. So in order to clean out the brain, it's also when we consolidate memory and learning. So. You know, there's all these stories about some of the great thinkers of our time and philosophers that used to uh, take a nap and try to fall asleep so that they could think of things, so that they could really just contemplate and think because they kind of were onto something they knew. And now we have the science to back it, right? I know even uh, Thomas Edison would fall fall asleep with marbles in his hand, napping so he could think of things. And then when he was in that half dream state, half wake state, he would, he would be able to think of things because his brain was high functioning. Wow. That, I love that. that you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of David Allen and Getting Things Done, which is a productivity system, which I compare to the evolved version of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with Stephen Covey, which I'm mm-hmm. a huge devotee of from the 90s. And and uh, and David came along. In fact, David is a big champion for my book, Powerful Peace. He was sharing manuscripts around but when we before we went to press because he saw the value in that. But, but, but Getting Things Done is about... He says the brain is for having ideas, not holding them. Mm. And as you're describing, it's a reset, a 20-minute, 30-minute nap or holding marbles and going into a quiet space that, as David describes it, it's white space. We need that mental white space to be more creative. And I've found insanely higher levels of productivity and creativity in my mind when I'm not stressed. And I'm indicting myself here. I'm con- I'm, I'm, descri- I'm I'm acknowledging or what do you say? I'm confessing. I stay in a high stress state because of my high level of interest, my high level of passion for concepts with impact stuff and new coursework we're dealing with or a coaching client or the team. And I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I know that I'm uh, detracting from my life, my quality of life and my quality of productivity because I'm keeping that uh, medium high level of stress, not panic all the time. But you mentioned stress right. among the, the six pillars and we haven't talked about stress Obviously, there's die stress and you stress, right? These are the concepts of good and bad. But what is mm-hmm. what is stress in your in your approach to these six pillars? So really, we I I go with the Kelly McGonigal method of just how we think about stress is very important. So mindset about stress. Um, I don't know if you've you or the listeners have heard her TED talk or read her book, but she has a lot of uh, research to back this. And really, it's just. How do you look at stress? Do you see it as like, now I'm stressed and I have this negative reaction? Or this is a stress that's going to make me perform better. 
this is a stress that's going to make me think faster on my feet because the body has these reactions. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I call it stress optimization, again, using <laughs> the optimization word, but really just less in managing our stress, but really more just using the stress to your advantage. So there will be stressful situations that are just so abrupt, like you're driving your car and you almost get in a car accident, right? There's not much you can do in that situation. But if there's this underlying stress each day, how can you use that to perform better? How can you use that uh, if you're nervous to go into a meeting? How do you use that to make yourself actually like think better and perform better? And one of the main things I do with my clients is working on meditation, mindfulness, or even just contemplation. So I'm a huge meditator. I'm a Kundalini yoga instructor. So I meditate for oddly like two or three hours a day, which is funny because I'm really busy. And when I'm really busy, I try to go for three hours. So we have 1800 different SNPs that are up or down regulated in the positive. So, you know, anti-inflammatory or, you know, inflammatory genes go in the proper direction in our favor from meditating. And this has been found in meditators in just 20 minutes a day for eight weeks. I got to up my number. <laughs> I also do that every day as a rule. I started with, you know, meditation in the Seiza position for karate back back a mm. hundred years ago when I was a kid in, in getting into martial arts. And meditation has always been an important part of my stabilization, centering, mm. to be functional mm -hmm. in a day. But I do it for a minute or two. Again, just to settling, just to just to, to stop and center. And uh, and I'm not tapping into that. And I I know from having talked to people who do like yourself uh, who do it a lot that there are, there are very concrete benefits. But it's in the intangible realm. You know, this is where I'm always looking to grow myself, always looking to evolve myself, and and accept new ideas. They say that uh, Gandhi himself would spin on a loom. He would he was spinning wool. Every mm -hmm. day as his meditation, part of his meditative life, and he, and he would the busier he got, the more he would do. <laughs> so the more the the more the world the demands of changing the world fell on his shoulders, the more he'd walk away to his loom and just spin, spin, spin. I guess not a lens, mm -hmm. a spinning wheel. He was spinning wool, and that's yeah. And, and we need that space to right. be functional. And then really just space to sit in, even in quiet contemplation. If people don't like to sit. I know people are like, well, I can't sit still or I can't make my mind go clear. That's not the point. You don't have to do that. You know, you're not, it's not about not thinking. It's about really kind of everything else. <laughs> it's really even just taking the time to do it. And Kundalini yoga is a meditative practice, even when you're moving. So um, each morning I wake up at like four or four thirty. My husband and I both do Kundalini practice for an hour. We have certain meditations we do every day that we do sometimes for like, you know, 40 days, 90 days, 100,000 days. Just we're kind of always working on something, right? Mm -hmm. Because just the commitment alone is enough. Like for me, if somebody says, well, I don't want to sit, I don't want to, I don't want to look weird to my family right. or something. I'm like, as long as you're committed to something, I don't care if it's two minutes in your car before you go inside, just have the commitment to something. Well, that's a lifestyle of mindfulness, which automatically is doing meditation in your if, if you're if you're conscious of it, and if you're not conscious of it, you're not you're not doing any of it one minute or, or two hours. Mm -hmm. I know that it can seem like wasting time. You probably have that resistance from some Westerners in modern society, like I don't want to waste that much time. Well, mm -hmm. it's like saying, "Well, I'm wasting time sleeping, or I'm wasting time with an exercise." Right. So that's you. Yeah, you're and I think consciously doing something actively, but you're not seeing it, and therefore it doesn't seem like it's active. Yeah. And as we evolve into a, a culture that appreciates sleep and realizes the importance of sleep, I mean, it used to be like, 
you know, sleep was for like, kind of like maybe sleep was, if you were lazy, you slept too much and oh, I can, I can power through it four hours. I'm, you know, so much more high speed than the guy next to me who sleeps eight. But now we know really that eight hours of sleep. I mean, people always say, how do you do all these different things? And oh, you must never sleep. I'm like, uh, but I always tell them I sleep eight hours. I sleep eight hours anytime, even when social obligations kind of dictate my schedule, I try to really get eight hours of sleep because it's, it's what we know brings you that cognitive health each day. It amazes me. Absolutely. In fact, my own recent COVID experience is proof of it. I came in, I, I support many clients. I do a lot of things with impact and also a couple of security things on the side with the government. Uh, and I, and I walked in after that month of being in mild dementia and I was a different person, but I wasn't different from who I am. I was myself, again, different from the guy that had the COVID effects. And I was on fire. I was just banging out tasks, banging out questions, banging out conversations, reaching conclusions, getting solutions. And it was, it was, it shocked me. It was shocked me. I felt like I was flying high, but it wasn't a pink cloud kind of thing. It was just like this living at my optimal. I was living much closer to my potential. Which, as you talked about earlier, is something that many of us don't do. Many, uh, to go back to your quote, feeling good is a low standard. But so, many people feel that feeling good is the, is the upper echelon, the upper limit. I can feel good or I can feel bad. But what, you're, what you're, we're talking about here is there's this invisible membrane between feeling good and what's possible. When you taste it, you don't want anything less. Yeah, and really like living within that f- almost flow state, whether it's, um, you know, I, I, you know, musicians experience it, but when you're very deep into a work flow, it doesn't necessarily have to be that meditative type of flow, but even just getting time outside, I always advocate people to just get outside in the morning before 10 a.m. There's so many benefits to something so simple, but now we have all the science to back this. We know that you absorb your vitamin D, which is going to help your body produce melatonin. Exposure to sunlight in the eyeballs is great for producing melatonin. You wear Mm -hmm. sunglasses before 10 a.m., take them off. You don't need them. You're not going to produce enough melatonin because your brain thinks that you're in the dark. So it's not actually producing enough melatonin, something so simple, right? Mm -hmm. But I haven't worn sunglasses in two years. (laughs) So it makes a difference. And it really, and oddly, these little tiny things that you add to your day, you'll sleep better at night. And then Mm -hmm. what happens when you wake up in the morning? You're just ready to kind of go through the day and find that flow again and again. Yeah, the four hours I sacrificed most of my life, I'm that person that went half a century saying, I can sleep when I'm dead. Because when I was a kid, I was a rock star, right? I was going to be I was going to be a rock star and die before I was 30. I had, had a lot of hair then. But, and <laughs> sleep wasn't important then. Partying was. But then mm-hmm. productivity became my, my idol. And just perform, deliver, be a seal. Nothing can break us. Go. That is not the long-term effect. That's why, I mean, I'm all about Hell Week. I want, I want every SEAL candidate for the rest of, of the history to go through Hell Week and have those five days of deprivation because it's a critical step for developing the understanding. You can do it when the crisis happens and you're in the combat mm-hmm. zone for those five days and you got to fight for five days. I want them to never lose that, but that's not a lifestyle. Sleep, eat, and train, we talked about earlier. Sleep, eat, and train is our, our acronym, seat, the seat of your power. Sleep is now something I appreciate and value. I don't do enough of it yet. I'm still evolving to that. 
It's, it's baby steps. But mm-hmm. understanding that my performance in those, the four hours I lose, air quotes, from sleeping those extra four hours is magnified, multiplied in my productive time. I'm much more effective and much happier. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. And I think as we evolve into realizing just how important sleep is, I think we'll also begin to appreciate silent contemplation, meditation, just that kind of slower living. I think we still tend to, in certain circles and certain maybe even geographic areas, I live in the Northeast. So people love to pride themselves on like the go, go, go mentality. I know maybe we can start to very slowly even just teach the next generation, like there is some benefit and really almost just the optimization comes from just slowing down, enjoying what you have right in front of you and just having that today. Today is the day, you know. I actually went to my son's open house last night and he's in first grade and one of the projects they did was, what are you excited about for the school year? And he had written, I just enjoy being present today. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I feel like I'm doing my part for the future generation. That's my little mom brag for the day. (laughs) He's the only kid that did that, I guarantee. Uh, Other kids were excited about the soccer season. (laughs) That's that's awesome. He has a very good idea. And he lives, and in, he like, lives in the quality of his life. The quality of his life yeah, is right now. Yeah. The, only, the only minute that exists in life is right now. There's no future, there's no past. One is memories and one is expectations. That, and expectations, back to the Zen Buddhist concept, expectations that are unmet are what we torture ourselves with. Pain right. is unmet expectations and it's completely self-inflicted. And the other side, yeah, the shadow side of that is just disappointment, right? Right, exactly. Disappointment is, is preventable. We don't have to choose that, but we do because we say we, we create these artificial guesses about the future, about what it ought to be based on our comfort, based on our insecurities. This is There's so much to unpack here. I, I have to beg you to uh, give me a rain check for another time in the future. <laughs> yeah, there's well, the wellness realm like kind of never ends. It's always a process yes. to learn. I know I'm constantly educating myself and learning as much as I can, like, talking to as many people as I can, taking courses that interest me and just kind of always continuing to grow because it kind of just keeps on going, right? Can you, before we wrap, I want to make sure we talk about the book because that's a month away as of taping. Your, your, your new book is coming out in October, right? Yeah. So I wrote a book, Your DNA, Your Life. It's about really recalibrating your genetics to, to move through life, life with grace, ease, and joy and just living a more joyful life. So I do focus on each of those pillars of health. I have a section also that I incorporate about spiritual health because there's a lot of information and studies being done with that now. But it's a very introductory, like if you just want to learn a little bit about genetics and a few little tips to just kind of make a few upgrades, it's all in this book. Wonderful. I need that. I need that. And I know a lot of people that are listening need that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it'll be available at the end of October on Amazon and anywhere else that you buy books. What do you want to leave the listener with most of all? We, we need time for a three-hour session. We don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that podcast. <laughs> but what, do you, what is the most important thing for you to, to leave the listener to walk away with and, and, and apply, begin thinking about and applying right now? The most important thing for anyone to know about their wellness outcomes and their future is that is 99.9% in your hands. You are in charge of your future health. 
That's powerful. That's powerful. We, we, we talk about that thing in impact. We talk about you control only you and only you control you. And that comes back to, again, the personal accountability and outcomes are consequences of choices. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us disavow that. We abdicate our, our personal authority, our personal rule of ourselves and say, oh, they make me do this or, oh, this happened to me. Well, why did that – why were you in the place that happened to you? And why did that person have a bad attitude about you when they did that thing? Oh, wait, you were an asshole 10 seconds earlier. You know, yeah. We create yeah. our reality. Every single choice you make each day really does affect how your genetics are expressed. So that you are so completely in charge. I'm gonna I'm gonna devour the the content and 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 beg you to come <laughs> back on after we can so we can talk about it when that happens. Limitlessepigenetics.com yeah. is the site. Is that how you'd like people to reach you, or do you have a particular web presence you like to do for social, et cetera? I want to make sure people can find you, C McDermott. S, that's C E E spelled C E E McDermott. Yeah, it's actually I'm in the middle of transitioning everything over before my book, so it's actually going to all be cmcdermott.com. By the time this airs, it will be cmcdermott.com. And I'm on vaguely on socials. Uh, when I do work with people, I generally work referral only. So it's kind okay. of tough to find me, but kind of on purpose. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm going to spell that too. Can you spell C. McDermott just so people hear it one time? Yeah, it's C-E-E-M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T. M-O-T-T.com. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, C. Thank you. This is powerful stuff. And I mean, there's, there's like 50 actionable recommendations in this one conversation for 45 minutes, 50 things <laughs> people can walk away and say, oh, I'll do this. I mean, if they do just one thing, like you said, it's in your hands, 99% in your, in your hands in your life. You, if you do one of the things we talked about, be conscious of sleep, be conscious of uh, assessing whether, you know, how you should be, what nutrients you need for your body. So uh, this is really powerful. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm getting you back on here whether you like it or not. We might, uh, we, <laughs> we'll do a so rendition. Much. I'll get my teammates and we'll go drag you to a virtual session. <laughs> it is really, really, I'm, I'm excited about this, obviously. And uh, we'll come back to it again. And now that I know what epigenetics is from uh, understanding it as it's explained in a, in a functional way, uh, we'll come back to this topic as well as all human health in general. So to everybody listening today, thank you so much for coming aboard and being here with us. And as you can tell, this is the place to be. Don't miss Beyond Your Limits because we're talking about the whole human being and we will continue to do so. And I will see you next week. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.